Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Lucas. I got Chris here and Uriah's back with us. How are we doing tonight, guys? Doing good. I'm a bit tired, a bit worn out, but but doing well. How about y'all? Hey, it's good to be back with you guys. I missed you and look forward to the podcast tonight. Yeah, Chris, uh, yeah, you're doing some film stuff at college right now. So, yeah, no, I, I've been there before. So being on set can be definitely drains, man. So I feel you there. And uh, we're glad to have you back, Uriah, for sure. I'm doing all right. We did Shamrocks this week for the kids that I teach. So, you know, creating Shamrocks and finishing up any clay pots that for any kids that missed it last week. So it's been that type of week. Um <laughs> I had a shamrock shake last night from McDonald's, so it was very tasty. Yes, we were recording the day after St. Patty's Day, for those that are listening. Um, So happy St. Patty's Day to all of our Irish listeners. And uh, Chris, do you want to let's just jump into the games that that were played? So we're going to talk about the Knicks game on Tuesday. That was a Sixers win, 99-96. to a defensive battle against one of the best defensive teams in the league and a potential playoff contender in the East, a contender in air quotes, but a team that might make the playoffs that is on track to make the playoffs right now in New York. I think the standout in that game for a lot of people was Tobias Harris, who had 30 points and six rebounds on 11 of 20 shooting. Ben Simmons had quite a night himself, especially on the defensive end. Good Dwight Howard game. Lucas, what were some of your big takeaways? I just like the fight that the team had, you know, just overall the fight because they were down at one point in the in the fourth uh, coming into the fourth and they fought back. And I really I really like that, that that was a big sign for me showing that this team can function without Joel. And I mean, we saw it in past seasons, but we hadn't really seen it in this season, especially in the beginning parts of it. So having the team bounce back against a good defensive team like the Knicks, who Yes, they're they're not great, but they, they are in well at least in the East. They're they're a team that's going to challenge for a playoff spot. You, a great Dwight Howard game, and then you had a solid Seth Curry game. I, I remember reading something, and I believe Doc Rivers said the equivalent of Seth Curry is only not as famous as his brother because he takes less shots, and that's another conversation for another day, but. I think that's it's telling because he went seven of 14, four of seven from the field, uh, three point line. I mean, the guy can shoot. I like it. And we could talk about Tobias Harris all that we want, but I, you know, we've got to focus on these role players and this bench unit. Like you said, Chris has been looking pretty good. So I guess my biggest takeaway besides the comeback, you know, the fight in the team would have to be Curry's big night. Yeah. I mean, you made some great points there. The, the bench is all of a sudden, like playing good basketball it was pretty unwatchable for long stretches this season but i i saw a stat earlier today from jackson frank over at liberty ballers i don't have it in front of me but the net rating this season for the all bench group with dwight scott thibel Corkmas, and milton has a pretty significant positive plus minus then when you swap out scott for maxi it's like minus 20 so I think it's minus thirty nine. I think I think Jackson was yeah. Pretty telling about how how Maxi's impact has been uh, this season, but also pretty good encapsulation of how that bench has been playing the past few weeks. 
we're going to talk about Tobias a lot this pod, so I'll maybe save some of that for later. But just a really so strong performance from the bench. Dwight Howard has been especially good of late um, in, in place of Joel. Tony Bradley's done his part, but we've had some really big showings from Dwight lately. And just all in all, the Sixers' defensive fight these past few weeks as well, especially without Joel, we've seen this team fall apart defensively time and time again when Joel has missed time, and that hasn't been the case these past few games. So I, I think they deserve a lot of props there. For sure, for sure. And that is crazy because you wouldn't think as Scott – being that big of a difference over Maxi, because Scott looks like he's has one foot out of the league at this point in his career. Not not to, you know, bash the the hive guy. This you know, but still, like it's crazy how that type of veteran leadership, along with Dwight, helps those three perimeter young guys because they are young guys. You got Thibault in his second year, you have Milton in his third year, and you have Corkmaz in his fourth year. They're young guys. Having two veterans in that front court has really helped stabilize that second unit. So it's 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 impressive in that in that regard. Yeah, and I, I mean I think more than that, it's just fit. And Scott is a much better and more confident three point shooter at this point. Maxi obviously has a skill set that the Sixers would love to incorporate at some point in the upcoming seasons as he improves. You know, his quickness and ball handling is going to be valuable. As packaged right now, I, I think Scott's shooting just probably fits better with this current group. He's been playing some better basketball of late. He's really, you know, earned that spot in the rotation. I, I think myself and everyone here on this podcast was pretty skeptical of Scott proving his worth in any way, really, this season. But he, mm. like, he's done it. I wouldn't really make any changes to to this group right now. So that that, that all the credit to him for sure, for sure. And then yeah, Chris, right. there is one. It was the second game of that back-to-back, and it's definitely left a sour taste in some Sixers fans' mouths. Yep, so we're going to talk about the overtime loss to Milwaukee at home on Thursday night. Um, 109-105 to was the final score there. Another pretty staunch defensive game from both sides. Not a lot of points scored. Um, pretty sloppy basketball going both ways. The Sixers had the lead for a pretty large portion of that game, gave it up late, had a pretty furious comeback towards the end of the fourth quarter, capped off by a, a Furkan Korkmaz three in the corner to tie it up in the final seconds of the game. Then, of course, Milwaukee won overtime. We saw most people have now seen that Giannis highlight of him hitting the dagger and then sitting at midcourt. There was some controversy over that, which frankly is a bit ridiculous to me. But the Bucks ended up winning. Lucas, what were some of your takeaways from that game? That Korkmaz might be a, a, a competent closer in games because this isn't the first time that he's done it, Chris. I, I'm sure you remember the beginning of last season. He iced a game for the Sixers against the Portland Trailblazers, and the Blazers have the best, you know, clutch player in the NBA in Damian Lillard. So. Corkmaz is starting to show a little bit of a clutch, you know, shooting touch in the and at the end of game. So positive there. That was my biggest takeaway. The other one is that you know, despite Giannis Antetokounmpo going thirteen of tw- twenty-two from the field, uh, one of five from the three-point line, hitting that three-pointer in overtime, Ben Simmons, for the most part, until the very end when he had like five pals did a good job on Giannis. Like, we all, always talk about, oh, Embiid's the only person on the Sixers that can really handle Giannis because Ben isn't strong enough. Ben's put on enough muscle to where he can actually 
give Giannis some problems. So that 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 was my other big takeaway from it. Ben had a triple-double, wasn't really focused on scoring, had a poor night shooting from the field overall, did hit a three, positive there, of course. But um, Tobias Harris also struggled from the field. And I mean, we'll talk about Tobias here later, but Milton had a solid game. It was another solid out. You can't blame the bench for this one, I don't think. The bench overall was solid. The starters struggled shooting the ball, and that's the difference in the game, especially down the stretch. But yeah, no, I think Ben Simmons' defense on Giannis, despite Giannis having 32 points, most of those coming in fourth quarter overtime, though, um, when Ben was in foul trouble. I, I think that's the difference there. I, I think if Ben Simmons could stay out of foul trouble, he could have been more aggressive defensively and held Giannis in check. But that just wasn't the case in this game. So, guys, let me tell you about one of our sponsors. The Sixer Sense Podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Now, Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Did you hear me? 2 million men worldwide. And today, we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. Check it out. 20% off, plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Again, the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. So, if you're wondering what are some cool items that come in the package, no pun intended, the Lawnmower 3.0 comes inside their brand new Perfect Package, which comes with everything you need to keep trimmed, cut-free, and smelling nice down there. In addition, the trimmer comes with an LED light for a more precise shave and is waterproof to make your shower shave clean and easy. The Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 also includes the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. So what are you waiting for, guys? Stay trimmed and stay fresh for your wife or your significant other. Just use the code FANSIDED20 to get your 20% off and free shipping today. And now, back to the pod. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, the offense really wasn't pretty for either team um, this game. I do think the Ben Simmons development defensively is pretty important. Um, this is a team, Milwaukee, that the Sixers will probably have to face if they want to make it to the finals. Um, if, if they get the one seed, they maybe avoid it. But if they're going to drop to the two or three seed, what seems increasingly likely with Joel missing time and with the Nets not losing anymore... <laughs> They're going to have to go through Milwaukee at some point. And the Sixers have always matched up pretty well with Giannis because of Embiid. But if you have been playing the type of defense that he played on Giannis last night, plus Embiid, you have multiple guys to throw at him, multiple looks to, to kind of slow this team down. The Sixers are going to have a real shot. I mean, they've been the better team this season. Milwaukee still has earned its reputation as one of the elite teams in the East. I, I think it's really a three-horse race right now in this conference with everyone else trailing pretty far behind, and Milwaukee is one of those three horses. But the Sixers have some some firepower, and they have the tools to really slow down the main engine on this team, which is Giannis. Um, they have guys who can defend Middleton and Drew Holiday. So it, it, I think it would be a pretty inter- entertaining series, and I, I do think the Ben Simmons thing is probably the most important takeaway from that game. For sure, because now you have two players that can play pretty above average defense on a two-time MVP. And Chris, 
Are you finally willing to say that Ben Simmons is the defensive player of the year after this performance? I mean, I, I've never said he wasn't. I just said I would cast my vote for Rudy Gobert if I had a ballot. I still think both of them are totally reasonable picks. Like, all the defensive metrics would still point to Gobert if you're putting more value into, like, versatility and guarding multiple positions or, or isolation defense. Then the pick has been. It, it, it still just matters, like, what your personal preferences are. But Ben certainly seems to have the momentum going in his favor for that award. He's probably the favorite right now, like the betting favorite in Vegas, I would assume. So it's definitely a very real possibility for him to win it. Chris, I get what you're saying. But at the end of the day, yeah, advanced metrics say that Rudy Gobert is the best defender in the league. But at the same time, Chris, we got to look at the eye test. Both Ben and Joel had their way with Rudy. Zion had his way with Rudy, and there are playoff matchups where Rudy is literally run off the court because he can't hang defensively against teams okay. that spread team out. So, yes, Rudy Gobert is a really good defender, but I would not, I, I just, I can't do it this year where Ben has really, I mean, yeah, Giannis had his way at the end of the game, but Ben had five fouls, so Ben can't do anything at that point. But overall, Ben has shut down elite perimeter players and literally besides guarding centers this season, he has shut down a major player at every single position this year at point guard, at shooting guard, at small forward, power forward. And if he had to, he could probably do it at the guard centers at that level as well. So it's the eye test for me and it's been all the way. So let me jump in and give a little bit of my take on the Bucks game. So I only watched the second half. I had something, uh, a prior commitment, so I can only watch the, the second half. So I'm driving home in the car. I'm listening to Tom McGinnis on 97.5. And I listened to the score and, and it says Sixers were up by 15. I'm thinking, oh man, this is great. And then I didn't know what quarter it was. So when he says, oh, there's three minutes, 52 seconds left, I'm thinking, well, okay, we're going to we're gonna walk away with this one. And then he's like, oh, we're going into the fourth quarter. I'm like, damn it. So anyway, so they go into the fourth quarter and I think their lead had dwindled down to maybe nine. And then I finally got home. I turned the game on and the bucks are only down by three. And I'm thinking this is not good. And then they proceed to go ahead and go on runs. I think it was a 14 2 run back and forth, back and forth. And then you guys saw it yourselves. We ended up being down late. And then cork miles, like you're talking about Lucas came and hit that really great shot in the clutch then they went to overtime, and they, I just think they lost their legs. They were probably tired. Mm-hmm. And um, I couldn't get too mad at it, though, guys, because, number one, Joel was not playing. And mm-hmm. if, if Milwaukee, who is a very good team, is taking an overtime without a, a Joel Embiid playing, then I, I think that's a good sign for the Sixers. But the one thing I want to say before you guys move on is Ben Simmons, love his defense, but – I was watching him in the fourth quarter, and they were dropping back. Giannis was practically under the rim. So you have you have the defenders guarding the wing players, the Sixers shooters, and they are in their jerseys. And they could care less about Ben because they know he's just going to pass it off. So that is going to be a problem in the playoffs. And then you see Giannis, who comes down the other end, he drives and he pulls up in the middle of the lane and he, and he hits a little jump shot. 
The irony is, and you guys saw it too, he hit a three. And, and when Ben shot that three, it was a swish. His technique looked good. So I'm thinking, why isn't he shooting more? I, I feel you, Uriah. But, and why I agree, we're just not going to get that from Ben this season. I think we're going to get it eventually, but it's it's not happening this season. He's but not why? Why he that, he pulled up and it was contested, Lucas? That last I, shot last night, it was contested. I mean, I get it, I get it. And same thing with that Cavs game when he switched that three pointer. That was contested too. I'm not denying that, Uriah. I was about to call you, Chris. No, I'm not denying that. And maybe he needs to go see a sports psychologist because that seems to help people. It's apparently helped Jeremy Lin. I watched the thing on The Ringer today with him getting interviewed, and he said he got a sports psychologist, and now he's in a better place. Good for Jeremy Lin. Not our, not on topic, though. That was a non-sequitur. Well, actually, not really a non-sequitur. But anyway, my point is this, is that it's not going to happen this season, Uriah. As much as me and you both want it, it I think it will happen eventually. It's just not going to happen this season because that's Doc is enforcing it. And I think Doc won't force it until he sees it not work in the playoffs. I tell you what, instead of, instead of seeing a sports psychologist, sit Ben down and have him watch footage of himself playing in a summer league, his rookie season, because he had multiple pull-up jump shots when he was in the Las Vegas summer league. So maybe he doesn't need a sports psychologist. Maybe he just needs to see himself doing something that he was pretty good at. Well, I think, and this goes back to what Brett Brown has said about Ben in the past, is that Ben would be doing so much more if he didn't have the pressure of having to try to win a title right now. That's what I think it is. And I think it's the yips in some sense, but I also think it's just the pressure. He, He puts a lot of pressure on himself to be great. And while he's done it on the offensive, you know, defensive end, he's gotten to where he feels great at he hasn't got it in on the offensive end and part of that's form part of that is confidence part of it is that he's has too much pressure on it he, he's putting too much pressure on himself to be perfect and that's not the case you don't need to be perfect the other thing that i want to talk about this game is how disrespected did you guys feel as fans when Giannis sat at the middle of the court after hitting that that shot who cares is my response like really guys i, care. I, I really couldn't care less <laughs> I, I truly could not I care. care less it's good for him. If you hit the game clinching shot, you can sit down. That's fine with me. I, I, I get it. I, I get it. What Chris was saying, it, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Plus with this wacky season, but if anything, Lucas, I think it's bulletin board material because Joel oh, yeah. was there and he saw it happen and they might use that for, for some motivation later on. Well, you know, Dwight said he wanted to go uh sto- stone cold, Something I forget the whole Steve phrase. Austin, Stone Cold yeah. Steve Austin, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he wanted to go fool that, but he already had one text, so he didn't want to get another one. I'm like, okay, Dwight, you're you're too old to be saying that now. Calm down. But uh, I mean, well, I want to give my I want to get put my two cents in on on the Ben Simmons thing before we leave. Okay, yeah, sure. go ahead. First off, of course, it'd be great if he started shooting. I I've never denied that. Um, I I also don't think it's going to happen this season, Lucas. I don't know if we know why, uh, but it's not as, but like, do I think it's going to be a crippling issue in the playoffs? Not really. Like, is it an inconvenience at times? Is it going to hurt in certain matchups, especially with the Bucks? Like, I do think the Bucks are one of the worst matchups for Ben because Giannis is one of the few defenders to where if he like gets downhill momentum, 
using the extra space that they give him, Giannis can still kind of stonewall him and stick with him. So I, I do think the Bucks are a particularly rough matchup in that sense. But I, I saw a tweet, and I, I can't remember who said it. So I, I, I don't want to take credit for this idea myself. But I, I actually might have been uh, Mike Chiodo, who writes for the site. So perfect. Um, he said that if Ben was like the number 10 pick instead of the number one pick, we'd be talking about him like he's Patrick Beverly. Like he plays harder defense than just about anyone else in the league. Mm-hmm. He's a star. He's like a top 20 level player. He plays his tail off on both sides of the ball. He's one of the best playmakers on the floor. He does so many good things in so many ways. But because he was the number one pick and he had those LeBron, those Magic Johnson expectations thrust onto him, we still nitpick and complain about a whole lot of things. Like, I understand that the not shooting thing is, is an issue, but there are a lot of good players who aren't shooters, Giannis being one of them, who just are ignored on the perimeter. Like, Ben is not alone in, in that sense, and it's an inconvenience at times. It's particularly rough next to Joel, I understand. But he's already a really, 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 really good player who does so many good things. It's going to be so important in the playoffs. We're talking about him like he should win Defensive Player of the Year. Like, there's just so much that he does well. He was really important to keeping the Sixers in that game last night, even with his offensive struggles. The defense that we talked about him playing on Giannis, some of the threes that he was able to create as a playmaker, even when his shots weren't falling. Like, Ben was not as bad as I think his stat line would suggest last night. So I, I do think he still deserves some credit. It's it's going to be, if you watch it again, that last two minutes, they were playing four on five. Offensively, it was four on five. And they got bailed out by a contested corner three by Danny Green, which he probably had his eyes closed when he shot it. And then Furkan, he bailed him out going into overtime. So, uh, and your point about the 10th pick versus the number one pick and Patrick Beverly, Patrick Beverly shoots, okay? He's a great defensive scrappy player, but he shoots. Giannis, he still is not really respected, but he has the cojones to actually shoot. And he shot one and made one last night that, he, that put them he, over the top. He attempted five three-pointers. But the point is, is that he worked on his game and he implemented jump shots into his game, and he's MVP. And Ben could be an MVP caliber player if he implements that into his game. I agree with you guys. He's probably not going to do it this year, but come playoffs, it's going to be four and five. I agree. I I think Ben shooting would be super beneficial, and I agree that it it is at times a bummer that he won't do it. I, I feel like we're he's really, I don't think, as much of a liability as people make him out to be. Like, I understand that that defenses maybe weren't covering him as, as tightly as we would like, but he has had so many big moments late in games this season. He has put together several really good playoff series already. And again, he's he's a top 20 player, like, as is. Like, to quote Greg Popovich, he, he does so many things well. Like, who, who gives a damn, you know? Like, to quote the greatest coach of all time. So, and I, I really I'll, think we overblow it. Yeah, and I'll play devil's advocate here, Uriah, for for Chris's sake. I I don't necessarily agree with this take, but this is a take to have. Even if Ben started shooting threes this this season, they would still treat him like Giannis, and they would pack in the paint. Well, 
as a LeBron awakening, because, you know, it took LeBron until he was in Miami to really get respected as a three-point shooter. Until he has that type of awakening as a, you know, and garners that respect as a three-point shooter in the playoffs, it's still going to keep on happening. It's just not going to change. I would would argue, Lucas, that if you look at Ben Simmons' statistics when it comes to assists, he averages, I think he's 10th in the league or, or somewhere in the top 10, he averages like close to eight. If he developed a mid-range jump shot, he would average double-digit assists. He would. Okay. He should Seriously. be averaging more assists. So it would just make him more of a threat on the perimeter where he would have more options with a pump fake and then, you know, no-look oh, pass. Because so, he would draw in more defenders. Because yeah. defenders are automatically thinking he's going to kick out. Okay, I see where you're going with yeah. that. Yeah, he would average more assists. If he just maybe like just shoot three, three jumpers a game. I'm not asking him to become Clay Thompson, but expand your game. Do like Giannis did step up and he did it last night. He didn't even think. So I think what maybe he does think too much when he's on the perimeter and has the ball. He does. Yeah. Yeah. It's no thing. And and I want to let's, I want to cap it off here because this was not originally part of our plan to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I want to cap it off here. Richard Jefferson, you know, former, I think, was Richard an all-star? But he was a really good player if he wasn't. Um, even if he wasn't, he was averaging 24 points at one point in his career. Richard Jefferson was not a jump shooter when he started out as a you know NBA player. He slowly developed into one. And one thing that he told that his coaches had him do was attempt one three game. And if he made that one, he attempted one more. If that, if, if that could if somebody could get Ben to do that, and I'm, I believe Doc Rivers could if he wanted to, but he doesn't want to this season. Yeah. That's on Doc, and that you know. But at the end of the day, if if that could happen, you know, great. But if not, I mean, like, and now you know, we think of Richard Jefferson with the Cavs. He was an elite three and D guy for them at the end of his career when they won the championship. So it's possible. Totally possible because Richard Jefferson was not a jump shooter, but he slowly developed that. And, you know, I think that would be a good approach. But like you guys said, it's probably not going to happen this year. He's still an elite player without it. If he was his 10th overall pick, Chris, I think you're absolutely right. We wouldn't be nitpicking it, but it is what it is. And we just have to go with it until it's either not an issue anymore or when everybody, by the time he's like 30 and he's still not doing it, and then people are just have accepted it at this point. But moving on, we need to talk about the Sixers' other healthy star here, and that's Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris recently said, look, I've got a bounty out for all coaches that didn't vote for me, all the national media that skipped over me. Are we surprised that that Harris went public with his feelings about not being selected as an all-star? No. Every player who feels like is in that conversation who doesn't get picked comes out with their feelings. I feel like that's a pretty normal occurrence. Uh, I mean, I, I, it's it's clear that Tobias thought he deserved it. I, I know a lot of people did. I think there was a very strong case to be made that he did. But yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not surprised about him coming out and saying that. I think, I, I think I'm surprised more that he said that he has a bounty out on coaches. I don't, I don't think you hear a lot of players go public with that type of statement saying, yeah, I'm coming after coaches and, and, you know, this is for the, all the people that doubted me. I think that that's what I'm more surprised about. I'm a little surprised in the fact that 
before these comments and before he yelled in the Knicks game, I'm an all-star, before any of that happened, Tobias Harris was considered like one of the more, more mild-mannered guys in the NBA. I think that's fair to say. Like, especially of the upper echelon players that aren't necessarily all-stars, but really good players. Tobias Harris is considered a mild-mannered guy. So for him to be taking this, this like, and I don't blame him for, you know, taking it personally. I mean, gosh, if I was having Tobias Harris this season, one of the most efficient sh- scoring seasons of a 20-plus point scorer in the NBA, yeah, I don't blame him. I'm surprised by it because he's so mild-mannered and, you know, meek as an overall person, not to, and not well, is a bad thing. I wouldn't well, say. That. Well, I, I don't know if I would agree with that assessment. I don't know if mild mannered is the way I'd put it. Like he's not Tim Duncan. He's, he's never been like quiet. Okay. Like, he's very enough. eloquent. And you don't usually see him. With his statements. He, doesn't, he doesn't boast about himself for sure. Well, he I mean, he's expressed off. confidence in himself plenty. I, I think that's been a regular part of like Tobias's personality is, talking about his belief in himself and his abilities. I, I don't think this is necessarily a new side of him. Yeah, like but the next moment that you were talking I about think was super he's being cool. more forceful about it now than he's ever been before, for sure. I mean, I guess, but this is also the first time where he's like really been at an all-star level. So this is really the first time we've been exposed to him in this specific situation. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I would agree with him being mild-mannered. I I think he's definitely a more. I'm not calling him Tim Duncan. I'm just you know he's not the he's not Joel Embiid. He's not Ben Simmons when it comes. Ben's talking about his defense or Joel talking about well anything oh, really. Because I would well, say Ben is much more mild mannered than Tobias. I, well, I, I mean, but I like except when you're talking about ben, when Ben's talking about his defense. Yeah, I mean, most players say this stuff about their games, right? Most players are very confident and believe in themselves to most all-star type guys, especially the bias doesn't. And he hasn't expressed that, but like I said, it's, it's surprising that he has this type of mentality looking at it right now. I mean, I like Mike Conley had the same comments before he got picked to replace Devin Booker. Like, like, I, I don't think this is a new or outlandish thing for someone who is snubbed to say, and like I'm sure Rudy Gobert talks about himself in the same light that Ben does defensively, for example. Like I, I think this is just a normal mindset for really good players to have. They they believe in themselves, they think highly of themselves and their abilities, and that's part of what makes them such good players. I know I'm not disagreeing with you. I just like I said, I, I this seems a little bit out of the I don't know. I see him more as a mild mannered person than I would I mean, I'm not saying that he doesn't express his confidence but in his game, but this this is a new level for him, in my opinion. But I think we're we're not going to agree. We're not going to find a common ground on this one, Chris. But I think we, we might be able to find a common ground on the next one, on uh, the next point here. Could Tobias Harris be a number one option for a team if they had no other stars? The short answer... Yeah. Look, Michael yeah. Carter Williams used to be the number one option on a team. Exactly, that's of what I was. Of course, he could. It if if it was a it, it just like in almost anyone could be the number one option depending on the circumstances. Um, Julia Okafor was. Yeah, like, is there any team aside from maybe Detroit where Tobias would be the best player right now? No, I don't think so. So it would take special circumstances. It would take him ending up on a team where they're at like the very beginning of a rebuild, him being the number one option would not 
make for a good basketball team, especially if there are no other stars. Like, yeah. That'd be a really bad team. But he could, hypothetically, yes. I think it's a... While I generally agree with you, I'll play devil's advocate here. It depends on how the team is built. Because I could see like at the like early mid 2000s Detroit team where they have Tobias as the go-to score type deal and everybody else is averaging like you know 15 to 18 points a game and he's averaging 20 points a game and they're a contender like you know that I could see I could see something like that but it, it doesn't happen in today's NBA Detroit Detroit had Chauncey Billups, Ben Wallace, Rashid, like Rip Hamilton like all those guys are better than Tobias well, okay, you know. Ben Wallace was definitely not a better scorer than Tobias. Tobi- yeah, but he was the best defensive player in the league. Oh, was, no, 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 like- no, no, I'm not denying that. I'm not denying I'm saying, like, you would have to build a defensive juggernaut around Tobias for that to even be possible for them to be a winning team for Tobias to be the leading scorer. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, Tobias could be the leading scorer on a winning team. That doesn't mean he'd be the best player. I think that's a question is, could he be the number one option? We're not asking if he's the best player, but if he's the number one offensive option. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's where I'm number, even going. then, like, is Tobias the number two offensive option on this team? Even though he scores more points than Ben, would we consider him the number two option? Absolutely. That's, that's a good debate. Absolutely. Uh, because Ben generates so much more offensively than Tobias does for this team. Jen is uh, I happen. I, I, I think Tobias is up there in most fast break points. And and also yeah, in a half court in a half court set in a half court set which the Sixers play most of the time simply because Embiid is in the post. Harris is the number two option, in my opinion. He's well, I, I guess you got to look at usage rates on this team. To be honest, because I, yeah, I mean I don't have stats in front. Of me. I, don't, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Ben is the terms of, lead ball handler. Ben is creating open threes at a higher clip than just about anyone else on planet earth. But is that and enough? He still scores a fair amount himself. But that's not a scoring option, Chris. That's that's a yeah, ball handling we're not distributor about option. Number one scoring options. We're talking about number one offensive options. If we're talking about can he be the number one scorer, then yes. On a winning team even. But do we think yeah, he can be the number one option writ large on a winning team? I don't know. I think he can wait, wasn't he number one option in Los Angeles? Correct me if I'm he wrong. He was. You're option- yeah. They were, yeah. yeah, and they weren't yeah, like guys like Ty and uh Shea Gilgis Alexander really doing a lot of stuff too. But he was scoring the most points on that team, yeah, and they were like out of the playoff picture. Uh, no, they were actually in it all, yeah, they, they were, were like in in the West, and or they, but, they they, were on the but they were still a playoff team and, and they, they were above Gallinari, 500. Who, Gallinari was the better player, so. Again, we can have this debate. Whoa, whoa, Either, whoa. Gallo has been the better player for until this season for a while. So, All right, Chris. All right. I, oh, okay. I, I think we're going to disagree on that one because Gallinari's good. No. Gallo in L.A. was like, it's not even a debate, I don't think. Like, okay, but he, he, here's the thing. Like, Gallo is a better shooter. Than Tobias be that. He was a better player than Tobias last season with OKC. Like, I don't think this is a new thing. I think there's less expected of Gallo, and that's why he looks like he's the better player. He doesn't like he's been a comparable scorer in the points department and more efficient for a minute. And he's I think Tobias is a better defender. I think he's a better this player. season, but in the past 
Gallo has been on that level. Like Tobias has never been an elite defender. I think Tobias is a better playmaker and a better rebounder. Tobias is better this season for sure, but no, in the past no, he hasn't. No, no, I'm talking about in general, dude. Yeah, in general, Tobias okay, has okay, never okay. been. Qu- question, question: Can Gallo run efficiently a pick and roll on both a screener and a ball handler? The answer is no. To yes, I mean no. he's done that plenty. Ball handler. He hasn't hey, been a ball handler we, since his early Nuggets days. Let, let's agree to disagree on this comparison, and, and let's move on to the next Harris you're, topic. You're right. You're right. So last Harris thing. What do we like about Harris's game now that he's been a sixer going on two years, Chris? Well, now that he's finally surpassed Gallinari on the power oh, rankings. Oh, oh I didn't <laughs> see that one coming. Um, <laughs> look, I, I like quite a bit about Harris's game this year that I – haven't liked in the past um he has made a ton of improvements in terms of his decisiveness he has trimmed a lot of the extra fat on his game he's taking fewer of those like isolation mid-range possessions that tend to go nowhere he's being much more deliberate and calculated with his game on offense he's playing better defense than he ever has and i mean like efficiency this is his most efficient season as a sixer so far he, he's taken a big step forward. I've argued for him being in the all-star conversation in this podcast on the past. I, I, I mean, the Sixers fandom has done a 180 on him in terms of their like appreciation. Uh, I mean, he was probably the most hated guy in Philadelphia next to Al Horford at the end of last season. And now he's practically beloved. So he, he's made a ton of improvements to his game. He deserves all the credit that he's gotten. And uh, I'm excited to see if he can keep it up the second half of the season. Uh, You're right. I'm going to break our agreement. I'm going to say one more thing about it. That year with the Clippers, Tobias was the one up for all-star nomination, not Gallo. Anyway. So what? That that if if everybody else agrees that he's the better okay. option for an all star, then then so okay. What you did, Lucas. You're getting him worked up again. No, no, I'm, no. I'm you get Chris worked up again. Let's, let's focus on Tobias, <laughs> Have there man. Never been all star candidates that aren't like we've seen players put up for all star conversations who shouldn't necessarily be the player on their team that are put there. You mean Al Horford back in Boston? No, like Horford was the best player on that Boston team. We can have all these fun okay, conversations anyway, if we anyway, want to. Anyway, anyway, so what I like about Harris's game is something that the Sixers actually don't use enough of, and it drives me absolutely nuts. I wish that they would use him more as a roller in the pick and roll. This guy can finish in traffic as a roller, and they don't do it enough, and it drives me absolutely nuts because I've seen it in Detroit. I've seen it in L.A. I even saw it with the Magic. He can be a finisher in the pick and roll. They're not using him in that. It drives me nuts. But what they do, like I said, like Chris said, he's already said all the great points. More decisive, decisive this year. You know, I think one underestimated thing that's definitely grown in his game this year is, is, is his playmaking for sure. And he was kind of doing a little bit back in L.A., but this year is definitely a new level for him. Point uh, Harris is definitely a thing now that we see every once in a while. And I like it. I think those would be the things. And like I said, I would like to see more pick and roll with him being the roller. But I have I have one thing I would I would add, Lucas, that Mm -hmm. he has a really nice dribble spin move. He has such control when he spins, whether it's left or right in the middle of the paint. 
Oh yeah. He keeps it close to his body and yeah. he know he's very decisive with the type of shot he wants to take in the paint. Mid-range, fade away, whatever. That's and then sometimes he'll do the same spin move and end up dunking the basketball. We've seen that a few times. So his ball handling has I think been better and defense. I, I like what I see with Tobias's defense. I actually like his hook shot too. He has a nice little hook. Yeah, yeah, I could see. I think that. the hook shots lost in today's game for sure. I, I love doing hook shots myself whenever I do pick up ball. But I, I think we should go ahead and move on to our next uh, topic, Chris. That's not considering <laughs> Tobias and Gallo. <laughs> Look, Al Horford was a top twenty player in Boston. But anyways, uh, Lucas, <laughs> um, the Sixers have some pretty good defenders on this team. I think that's pretty well known at this point. Mm-hmm. What are the odds in your mind that at some point in the future the Sixers would have three players on the all defensive team in Embiid, Simmons, and Thibel? If Thibel starts, it happens. It's that simple. Assuming that Thibel can offense can make him can improve enough to where he can be a starter, this happens. And that if it happens within the next four years, because four to five years, because I think that's what's left of Joel's prime. Not to be a you know Debbie Downer, but I'm being realistic. I think if to, if Thibel can become a starter in the next you know th- four to five years, this happens easily because Ben's already one of the best defenders. Joel Embiid's one of the best defensive centers in the league, and to buy and Thibel, honestly, Thibel's making a good case this season. I think I heard a stat that he's in the top ten of steals already, and he's only playing 17 minutes a game. And, you know, usually guys not playing at least 24 minutes won't be considered for defensive player. I mean, defensive uh, NBA, all defensive team. But look at the job that he's done against some of the best players. You know, that De'Aaron Fox game really put a nice feather in his uh, cap for that uh, that award for sure. So it might happen this year, probably won't. But I think if he becomes a starter, it definitely happens. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Thibault obviously has the talent and the ability there are not very many teams where this would even be a conversation. Like it's very rare for a team to have two players on the all defensive teams, much less three. I think the Sixers are somewhat rare in that that sense. But overall, I I mean, the highest chance of all three of them making it at the same time is if Thibault gets traded somewhere else. Like it's probably not going to happen in Philly, unfortunately, just because. I'm cutting that out. I'm editing. He's going to get no. Like Simmons and Embiid would cancel him out. Like. It's that's probably how it would go down. Do you, Chris? Do you know this dude has a mural in Philly on the side I of a wall? This I'm dude has no mural. Trade him. I'm not Red Bull is all him. in endorsements with Matisse. Come on. I'm saying the quickest route to him getting on an all defensive team is to like send him to OKC where he can play 30 minutes a night. Oh my and god. Rack up five steals a game. Oh my god. OKC. I'm not saying that should happen. I'm not saying the Sixers should trade him. I'm. All right, the pod's over. I'm cutting it off. Good night, guys. <laughs> look what you did, Chris. Look, look, look what you did to Uriah. You broke Uriah. Like right. only ten all defensive spots each year. The way he feels about Gal, um, Gallinari is how I feel about Matisse. The, That's the why he's, getting... he's sticking a knife in me right now and twisting. Look, it. That's exactly why. The Sixers getting thirty percent of the all defensive slots. It's just inherently. Hey, why don't we trade Gallin? Why don't we trade Matisse for Gallinari? How about that one? <laughs> Look, guys, I said that Tobias is, is better than the current version of Gallo in Atlanta. 
Gallo is clearly taking a step. We're talking back. about Matisse Thibel, Chris. But you you <laughs> brought him up. You brought Gallo up. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> Ben Simmons said that if Matisse Thibel played the same amount of minutes as him, that Thibel would, quote, easily be the defensive player of the year. Do we agree? I don't know if it would be easily, but there would definitely be a, a strong case for him. I think it's close. I think it would be close. I don't know if he could stay in the game long enough. I think, you know, foul problems would yeah. definitely be an issue overall on, you know, the offensive side of the board. But at the same time, like, I think it would be a real conversation to be had. He's probably not as nearly as versatile as Ben. And I think that's probably what would keep him out of it just because – Perimeter players don't usually win Defensive Player of the Year. Kawhi Leonard, versatile. Um, I'm trying to think of perimeter players that won it recently. Did Tony Allen ever win one? Do we know? I don't think he did, which is crazy. I don't think so. No, because he had Marcus Hall as a teammate. That's why. Um, and Marcus Hall won it, I believe. Besides Kawhi, can anybody think of a Metal World Peace? Yeah. So two guys that were defensively versatile, super strong or super long. And while, you know, Thibault's getting there, versatility-wise, Thibault can guard maybe, yeah, I guess he, you could say he could guard three positions if it's a small, small forward. But I think if you analyze aspects of what he does on defense, I definitely think Matisse could win Defensive Player of the Year because it's not just tips, steals, and blocks. What happens after a deflection is you have to understand the shot clock, the importance of a team getting in the rhythm, getting their play set. The moment he deflects a pass, whether the Sixers recover it or not, but if if the other team recovers it, they're losing a good four to five seconds within their shot clock. So mm-hmm. between his steals and his blocks and the deflections caught disrupting the offense, he trims off easily 10 to 12 points a game by himself. By himself, he gives that advantage to the Sixers. And here's the uh, – Chris, maybe you can remember this. We did this stat earlier in the year during the podcast where compared to like the – and you're right. I think actually you came up with the stat that compared to like other the other elite defenders, like Thibault still had like as nearly as many steals versus like Ben Simmons and – Giannis and yeah, other great per 36, I think. Yeah, per 36. Or he had the same number of total steals despite only playing like significantly less minutes. Yes. Yeah, I do remember. That was two weeks ago. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think he would definitely be in the conversation for sure. I think, I don't think it would be a slam dunk because he's not nearly as versatile as Ben or, you know, I don't know if you could put him in the same category as Gobert, but. I, I think he would definitely be in that conversation for sure, personally. Yeah, I I I agree that it wouldn't be a slam dunk. Like, but Fievel does things defensively that no other player in the league can do. Like flat out, he's yeah insane. It's really remarkable what he's capable of doing. He does have his down moments too. He still gets into foul trouble sometimes. He's not flawless, but when mm-hmm. he's at the top of his game, Fievel is pretty much a one-of-one player. So if he was playing 35 minutes a night for on a team that didn't have Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, could he be in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation? I don't doubt it. I think that'd be entirely possible. Um, you certainly have the numbers to back that up. Um, at least like in terms of counting stats, he'd be right up there with anyone. I, I would right. say this. I think it's fair to say that 
I, and this is my hot take of the night. I think it's fair to say that Matisse Thybul is already the best zone defender in the NBA. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, yep. Yeah. Very possible. Um, like we don't get a bunch of zone in the NBA, so he there's not a ton to compare it to. But he's he's been good in the zone for a while. Um, ben yeah. is already up there too. So and Joel. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the Sixers just have three really good defenders. It's going to be tough for Matisse to surpass Ben and Joe on that hierarchy for as long as he's here, especially if he can't start because of the offense. Um, that's just going to be a tough mountain for him to climb, but mm-hmm. he's certainly has the talent and the potential to be in that conversation for a long, long time. And I'll be interested to see, to see how far he can get. So Chris, I don't know if you saw the the sad news, but uh, according to the Dallas Mavericks, who did the press release according uh, back uh, earlier this year, former Sixers second overall pick in the 1993 draft, Sean Bradley uh, sadly was rear-ended on his bike, uh, riding his bike, and he is now paralyzed. So, uh, Chris, do you have any fond memories of Bradley as a Sixer or in general? Um, uh, yeah, very, very sad news. Um, we here at the Sixer Sense send our condolences and our best wishes to Bradley and his family as he, you know, rehabs and hopefully gets back to back to life. Um, you know, it, it's obviously very sad news. I never had the privilege of watching him play basketball. I'm just not old enough. Um, but I have seen Space Jam, so that's probably his biggest contribution to my life. Um, as far as basketball goes, he is a, a very important part of that movie. Um, it's a movie that I enjoy quite a bit. And, but yeah, I've I've written about him in the past. I believe I've I've studied up on him. So it, he was a very very good player. I don't think he um, maybe gets the credit that he deserved for some of the things he was able to do in the league. And he was, you know, Space Jam's a, a cultural cornerstone in in the basketball world. So. There's definitely a lot to, to praise with him, and we just hope he, he gets better. For sure. And to add a few other notes, you know, now Bradley's going to focus on his, his efforts. Now that uh, this has happened, he's going to focus his efforts on making, you know, making more awareness for, you know, bicycle accidents for sure. And like Chris said, we at the Sixer Sense send our thoughts and prayers to him and his family during this rough time. Um, so I, re- I wrote an article today on Bradley. You know, you know, reflecting on his time, and while I never got to see him play, partially because I didn't start watching the NBA until 2006 when I was like 13, um, I will say that uh, the stats that I did find were very telling. Like I said, he was the uh, second pick in the 2000, and I keep on saying 2000, 1993 NBA draft. A draft after the, the pick after him was Penny Hardaway. Um, Sam Cassell was also in that draft. Nick and Nick Van Exel and Jamal Washburn. Uh, so there were quote unquote better players than Bradley. Uh, you know, picked after him. However, he was still very good in his own like right. Uh, he was one of the best shot blockers in the NBA, standing at seven foot six. 
very thin frame, but very good shot blocker. Uh, with the Sixers, his first two full seasons with the team before he was traded halfway through, but his first two full seasons, he averaged his block averages had him ranked fifth and third in the NBA, respectively. That those seasons, I believe he averaged around nine points per game with the Sixers and about six to seven rebounds. I, I'm pulling this off the top of my head, so I don't have the exact stats in front of me. But, um, you know, obviously he, so Bradley was drafted in 1993. That was a year after Charles Barkley was, you know, had basically forced his way out of Philly. And he was, the uh, you know, to Phoenix. And Bradley was the second pick drafted uh, after, for that rebuild, Clarence Witherspoon being the first. And uh, from there, I'm going to turn it over to Uriah because, not to make to poke just to poke fun at him a little bit. He is our old head, and he definitely does remember this more than me, I would. Let me sit you youngins down, and and you guys have a seat and listen up. When I remember when the Sixers they revealed that they were getting the number two pick in the '93 draft, and everyone knew that Chris Webber was coming out of Michigan and Anthony Hardy was coming out of Memphis. But then you had this really tall center out of BYU. We're talking about Sean Bradley. He came with a lot of hype. The Sixers rolled the dice and they took him. And it's cool that you mentioned Clarence Witherspoon because that that's a that's a name that you know only Sixers fans know because Witherspoon was supposed to be the heir apparent of Charles Barkley. They had played the same position. Their physical build was very similar, and and he was a decent player. But after that, the Sixers, like I said, they rolled the dice on Sean Bradley. And as Chris said earlier, uh, Space Jam was a cornerstone. Uh, movie in the basketball world Mm -hmm. and because Bradley I guess to juxtapose him next to to Muggsy Bogues you had the shortest player in the NBA and the tallest player he fit what they needed in terms of casting for that film and I thought he did a good job Mm -hmm. Uh, as a player I remember watching him for his height he was a monster in terms of shot blocking I think Mm -hmm. because he was so tall his offensive game was limited because it just took him so long to gather the ball and getting into a shooting motion. But overall, guys, I remember him being a humble but decent basketball player, respectable basketball player. And just like you guys said, it's it's a terrible tragedy. Thankfully, he's alive and he can devote time toward awareness of, of you know, safety on the roads and just a freak accident because I think he was, what, less than a mile from, yeah, from his, home. his home. Yep. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. So it's it's, it's sad, but um, we wish him the best. For sure. And for those that probably, while he did play for the Sixers and the Nets, he will most likely, he is most remembered by a member of the Dallas Mavericks next to a young Dirk Nowinski. And like we said before, we definitely wish his family the best. And we hope for nothing but a continue good rehab for him and hopefully more healing for him in the future. Tragedy for sure. And uh, I think, Chris, I think it's time for you to play us out, buddy. All right. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the Sixer Sense podcast. Again, we just want to send our thoughts and condolences to Sean Bradley. If you are tuning in on iTunes, Google Play, wherever, please leave us a review a rating if you if you can spare it we would really appreciate it it would help us out quite a bit and we have some very exciting guests coming up in the future some more exciting sixers topics to break down with you guys so we'll see you then thanks everyone
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.